Well, hello and welcome to the Farm Story Podcast. Here I am again, Anna Helmer. And this is episode beyond count, although I think seven is a fair number, episode seven. Today we are going to be treated to an amazing pair of chefs, um, Lisa and Dan, and their pierogi recipe. At the same time, we might be um, getting some relationship counseling, certainly some pan searing advice, how to and how not to, depending on who you are. I, I'm, I'm painting, I'm not sure what kind of a picture I'm painting. I hope it's an entertaining picture because that's what's, that's what's on the docket here. And I had sort of intended to pair this recipe with a um, talk about seed potatoes. Um, Seed potatoes, I realize, are only slightly less difficult to talk about than biodynamic farming. Slightly less complicated, although mm, maybe not too much less complicated. The seed potato program is quite quite a thing. And so I think I'll just leave that for now. Um, come back to that when I'm feeling a little more uh, detail-oriented. For now, I'm just going to quickly touch on my potato crush. That's right. Of course, I have a potato crush. And that is on the Jersey Royal potatoes. Not sure if you've heard of this variety. They are grown on the island of Jersey, They are only grown on the island of Jersey. They are, like, I wouldn't be allowed to grow Jersey Royals and call them Jersey Royals. Um, uh, It's a protection of designation of origin. Now, I'm not sure if they, with Brexit, maybe something's changed with that, but um, it's like champagne. Like, you can't call um, champagne anything except for what comes out of France, that champagne region. So Jersey Royals, and they're the type of potato that you pre-order, as far as I understand. Um, They're starting to be harvested right now, March, end of March, and like Harrods in London carries them. And you pre-order, and I think you pay a small fortune. And they're literally harvested, and then that afternoon they're in the store shelves, and people know that they're coming, and and like plan their day around getting their hands on six potatoes or something, which I think is just amazing. I just love it. And apparently the taste is just sensational. And from what they're describing as, because I've never seen it, I've just admired it from afar via the internet and English customers that tell me all about it. Um, It sounds like a, like a, white white flesh variety and they're harvested very fresh very new green topped so the skins are not set they're harvested by hand mostly on this island although i have seen pictures of um, greenhouses filled with potatoes and very high tech like tractors like unmanned tractors on pulleys that move back and forth in the greenhouses and of course all the nutrients and fertilizers and everything applied and those pictures were slightly out of context from the usual picture which is um you know farmers on a hillside planting each potato by hand and because it's on such a steep hill the tractors and the lifters are on 
winches for sure to get up and down the hill um, but very low tech apart from those winches they've been grown since the uh, like the 1850s or something there um, and uh, yeah and they use seaweed as fertilizer or that they have I have come across the odd organic mention but for the most part not organic mention so I'm not I haven't been able to establish if there is an organic industry there seems to be one big company that is in charge of most of it and unless I've got my math horribly wrong and I I might I guess but it looks like it's like a 60 million dollar enterprise in sales which is you know not bad I suppose you could rub along on 60 million dollars if you had to I thought it was pretty good for a potato um, yeah so that that's that's what I know about Jersey Royals and I would love to sort of build up that sort of hype for a Pemberton potato I always sort of hoped in the back of my head that the white rose variety would be the one because it looks like a Jersey Royal from what I can tell sort of that funny sort of kidney shape um, not quite fingerling but not cr quite not definitely not round and very uh, light skin like very thin skin and creamy holds together nicely when you boil it roast it um, I always sort of wondered if the the white rose could be the one but I don't know that's slightly overshadowed by the the sieglinda coming out of Pemberton or the German butter as we call it um, which I guess I mean we're not quite at 60 million dollars in sales um, but certainly people know about sieglinda and German butter so maybe that's where we're going um, but I always you know just aspire to creating enough buzz around a potato that people sign up to get them can you imagine oh that would just be sensational so that's my that's my potato crush um I I, I think I might be the only person I know with a, a potato variety crush maybe I know a couple of other people hey I think I might know a couple of other people that have potato crushes potato variety crushes um I wonder what they would be. It's easy for a Pemberton farmer actually to have a potato crush, potato variety crush, because it's hard for us to get new varieties into the valley. Like to bring a new variety in, if by some chance I got my hands on a Jersey Royal potato and I wanted to grow it as seed, first I would have to send it to a lab, like an actual independent lab, and have them test it for. All kinds of viruses and just say that it tested negative for all these different viruses and there is absolutely no guarantee that that would happen um, but just say it did test negative then they would send me from the lab um, a sheaf of paperwork saying it's negative and then and the potato itself would be a little tiny plantlet in a test tube like it would be one single green um, sort of stem with a couple of leaves on it in agar in a test tube 
And then I would take it into our own seed propagation facility, which we run together in Pemberton, all the seed growers. And I would propagate it, which means I would cut up that stem and plant it in agars and make more plants. And when they got to a certain size, then I would cut that all up and make more plants. And when I got, say, 25 plants, I would take them out of the lab and plant them in a pot. Hopefully this is all happening in the springtime. And three or four months later, that pot, after being cared for in various um, ways, organic and biodynamic ways, would produce, you know, two or three pounds of potatoes. And I would save those all winter and I would and also those would have to be inspected by the CFIA, by the way, who would come and check the plants twice a year to make sure they look good and no visible signs of, of disease. Then I would plant those few pounds in the spring the next year, go through that whole process again. This time they're in the field though, not in pots, but the whole inspection thing. Harvest those, and now maybe I've got 100 pounds. Store those all winter, plant them again in the spring, again inspection blah 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 if i felt that they were that was that i was going to get enough for a commercial crop so maybe i'm thinking about a thousand pounds now um, then i would actually have to send pieces of the potato away to be tested and then that could be the seed crop that i could then sell or i could keep it and plant it again myself and then maybe i'd have a few thousand pounds and that could be my crop that i take to market so there, I just went into the sea potato business. But um, so just point being, that's like four years from the time I got my little Jersey Royal potato. And assuming it passed all those tests all along the way, then I could have a, a new potato variety. That's what we have to do with every single variety that we decide to grow in Pemberton. So it is really easy to catch sight of some interesting looking thing anywhere in the world and wish that we could grow it but we can't i think this is a good time to stop talking and let lisa and dan take it from here a wonderful recipe perfect for a rainy sunday which is what i'm looking at right now this is a multi-step process you are going to need to concentrate take notes practice but it's going to be good Okay, thanks for listening, and bye for now. Hi, my name's Lisa, and this is Dan. Hi. We uh, we want to thank Anna for inviting us to her uh, Potato Forward podcast, and um, we thought we'd tell you a little bit about how we know Anna. We started shopping at the Whistler Farmer's Market more than 20 years ago where they were vending. And I mean, we were good customers, but they they stepped up our relationship big time by becoming my biggest sponsors in my uh, pro snowboarder career when I was competing. <laughs> Your biggest sponsors. Uh, yeah, they kept you in potatoes. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a gateway of sorts to now potatoes being a very important food group of mine. Yeah. Uh, and so um, so we, we really came here today to share a recipe at um, Anna's you know, instructions. Um, so I just want to ask you, Dan, what is your favorite 
potato recipe? I mean, straight up potato tartare is, is pretty sweet, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't take very much of a recipe. But I mean, as far as cultural foods stand out, I'm a huge fan of all things Ukrainian. <laughs> and that, that's that's presumably because I have Ukrainian heritage and you adore me. <laughs> and your grandma's pierogi recipe. <laughs> um, so recently I have been making pierogies from scratch, actually. And um, the dough is quite fantastic and it really helps to highlight the quality of Helmer potatoes, really, right? Absolutely. The potato that I think I like the most in pierogies is the Siglinde, but the uh, Yukon Gold would be good too. And then it's traditional, I think, to put rus a russet potato in. I think russets were probably more easily found at uh, the arrival of Ukrainians to Canada. So I'll share with you the recipe now, but I'll also put the uh, finite details on the on tracedelements.com and put the podcast next to it. So you can find it there. Essentially, it's two cups of full-fat plain yogurt. I usually use a crema one, but you can really just use any brand that you want. Um, one egg, which is lightly beaten. A teaspoon of salt. I guess it really depends on what type of salt you like to use. I use a sea salt so I go a little lighter because it's quite salty um, and two and a quarter cups of flour and then some for your dough afterwards and then you you tend to help me put that together at my request you mean orders <laughs> <laughs> yeah orders um, so we usually we, we've made pierogi dough together that's true um, you mean you make the pierogi dough while I sous chef everything else. <laughs> That's right. Um, I guess you do tend to put together the potatoes quite well. That's You're really good at that. Do you want to tell us about your potato cooking process? Certainly. First, you got to steam the potatoes. Skin on. It keeps a lot of the flavor in there. And uh, the key to a perfect marshmallow-like filling is to use a ricer, potato ricer, which looks a lot like a garlic press, but it's for potatoes. It'll get the skins off for you. And uh, it's just incredible, the texture of the potatoes that comes out of there. You, we could mash them. Well, well the mashing tends to... Uh, clump it up and the consistency is not going to be that consistent. Right. Not quite as nice. So it is good to have a ricer. It, it's, it's a bonus. If you're a real aficionado of pierogies like that, that texture of the, the filling is, is really an important part. I see. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about the dough because that's the one that um, requires a little bit more finesse. You can hand knead it um, and putting it together, put your flour down, make a bit of a well, and then keep moving the flour into the wet ingredients. 
or you can use a stand mixer. I have a stand mixer, which is super handy if you're going to make a couple of batches of dough at, at one time. Um, you mean enough food for Dan? Enough pierogies for Dan is two batches of pierogies. <laughs> um, uh, but you can you can fill it with any kind of potato filling um, or a combination of potato with other ingredients. Yeah. I like mine sort of straight with butter and um, cream and a little salt. Where you're kind of more into other ingredients. Well, I'm not opposed to a bit of cheese or maybe some ground meat as well. And if we do do some ground meat, we usually cook that up and season it first before adding it to the potato or the pierogi dough. Perhaps uh, some sauerkraut for a little kick. We did make some with sauerkraut um, mixed in too, and that was quite delicious. That was one of my uh, great-grandmother's favorites. But yeah, so to make your dough, you just um, you make sure that you let it rest for a couple of hours so that it gets um, kind of, this is a bit of a wetter dough, so it gets a bit stretchy in the fridge. And then um, you roll it out as flat as you can and then cut circles. And then even after that, I do um, roll out the circles a bit more, like twisting the circles around and spreading it out in each direction. And once those circles are nice and thin, you take your beautiful Helmer potato mash combination and put about a tablespoon into the middle. And you can put a little egg wash on the edge of the dough, perhaps some water. Uh, but this particular recipe, I do find it is um, quite uh, a wet dough. So I have been able to pinch them together without any um, extra step. But the part that we always struggle with is the cooking of the pierogies. You know, the, first... You... The cooking part's easy. The relationship struggles at the technique. <laughs> so uh, my grandma always boiled first and fried second. And uh, she would put in... Um, uh, she would use salt pork. I don't know if you know what that is, but it is um, a salt-cured piece of pork belly, so kind of like what you would use for bacon. Um, but it used to be a really cheap cut in her time, and um, and so it was always it was always in the pierogi, little tiny dices with diced onions. Um, and uh, nowadays, it's quite a bit more expensive. Um, but you can get some great salt pork from Johnston's Butcher. But uh, when we when we fry them, we we um, aren't able to come to terms on how they should be put into the pan. So what I usually do is have a little pork fat in there or oil if you're a vegetarian, and um, and you place the pierogies once they come out of the the water and they're strained. You place the pierogies one at a time, all in a row. <laughs> so that you can get an even sear on each pierogi. But tell me more about your process, Dan. No, no, no. You got to you got to get artsy with this. This is your chance to shine straight out of the colander in one fell swoop into the hot pan and you let them lay where they may. <laughs> Low heat for a long time. Let them crisp up smoothly. Don't disturb them. They'll tell you when it's time to flip. And then we eat. 
Yeah. So uh, I like to put mine on a little bit higher heat than that and uh, watch them carefully and move them around. If they're ready to move, they'll stick if you or burn. move them too soon. Dan thinks I like to burn them, <laughs> which seems like a real waste after, you know, making pierogies from scratch. But it's often because we usually make pierogies in an emergency. Uh, we tend to call them emergency food because uh, they're in the freezer and it just takes a few minutes to make them up. And uh, so if we're feeling hangry or we just came back from a bike ride and we don't feel like making a dinner, um, pierogies often make it to our plate. It's so, a highlight, really. It's a highlight. A highlight. And even more of a highlight if we have some uh, pierogies with um, anise potatoes in the middle. Those store-bought ones just aren't the same. They're just, they don't crisp up like the ones from this dough you will get bubbly, bubbly, crispy skin. That goes great with ketchup. No, 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 no. Do not, do not. And I repeat, do not put ketchup on your pierogies. You, you can't take my French-Canadian heritage out of me. <laughs> the ketchup belongs everywhere. That's a different podcast, though. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Um, but we do like to put different things with our pierogies. We do... Um, Sometimes use bacon, um, but we really like to put corn or fry. I like fried onions. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I like to put a little really thick yogurt next to it. I mean, sour cream would be great, but I don't eat that much sour cream, so it's hard to keep that in the house. Um, anything else you want to say? Well, I've been wanting to experiment a bit with dessert pierogies. <laughs> bust out the extra sweet ketchup for that <laughs> the extra sweet ketchup blueberries and potato pierogies coming next for advanced potato filiacs <laughs> files for real potato files yeah <laughs> thanks anna thanks anna we enjoyed being here <laughs> we look forward to listening to more of your podcast <laughs>